This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. We're very glad you could join us this week. I'm Mark Lautenschlager, your master of ceremonies, uh, ringleader, bus driver, engineer, uh, whatever. I'm the guy on mic number three. In the studio with me today is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and we have both co-directors, so that means I think we have one one full director, right? If you have both co-directors, we have the equivalent of one yes. actual director of our student ministries. We've got Drew Brown and Will Bushman. Hi, guys. Yes. Okay. Good to be here. Yeah. So <laughs> we have to bring him in for a generational perspective because <sighs> I'm really old. You're kind of old, Sam. And, and they're the only ones who can keep us in touch with modern society. You know, I was on this Israel trip, and it was the first time in my life where I was repeatedly getting placed with the old people. Like, people were asking, can we get someone young to help out? And then I would come forward, and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> wait, wait, I'm old now? They're like, like where's Will? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been replaced. Exactly. I, I've, I am now officially both feet in the old camp. It wasn't that long ago that when we talked about our seniors' luncheon, and I was talking about who we're targeting for that, the senior pastor of this church, Dr. Thomas Hendricks, said, well, it should be anybody over 50. In terms of a target audience, until he reached fifty, yeah, and I believe kind that has, I believe that has now moved up a little <laughs> bit. That uh, in terms of the targets for the seniors' luncheon, but but our topic this week is not old people, although it may sound like that. <laughs> our topic this week is the holiness of God, which is an interesting topic because it's one of it's one of God's attributes. God is holy, but it's interesting because as we were talking about this, getting ready to do this podcast, we talked about you know there's a lot of attributes that God has. He's just, he's kind, he's loving, he's merciful, he's righteous, and and all of those attributes have some uh, frame of reference to us as, as humans, as image bearers. We're made in God's image, so we're kind of constructed like him in many respects. And so we understand, you know, if you say, hey, you know, Sam is a just person. He's very, Sam's all about justice. You know he's going to punish the evildoer and reward those that do well. You understand what that means. But when we talk about holiness, it's not possible to define it apart from saying, well, it's God. What's holiness? It's God. So, Sam, where do we begin to unwind this? What is holiness? For me, like when I was growing up, when you said, you know, this person is really holy, I had in my mind, this is somebody who takes religion very seriously. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're a good person. They're very righteous. A they holy always, man. A holy, yeah, they always you know. do what the Bible talks about. Um, but what you're saying is, is it somebody who is a mirror or is conformed to the image of God. Right. Like, how did you guys, when you grew up and you heard the word holy, even still to this he, day, He's, I mean, he's pointing to the contingent of young people in the room. So it's, it's still got connotations. What do you think of when you hear holy? I often heard people say things like, you're holy, you act holier than thou. Yeah. So that was like a very negative connotation right. in my mind because it just always was used poorly. Yeah, it's like perfect people, like pious mm-hmm. people, like you're doing something really, you're, you're good, you're right. You're, you're acting right. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I often heard people use it in a positive light. It was like, oh, you're self-righteous. You're holier than thou. Yeah. So if holiness I, from their perspective was they're, they're, they're perfect. They're yeah. sinless. So by saying holy, they're saying this is perfect. Yeah, and but, so if I'm acting holier than thou, I'm being perfecter than you. 
Yeah, yeah but almost like in a snarky way. Like right. you're coming no, no, off. I, yeah. Right. I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's t- it tends to be in a self-righteous context mm-hmm. or something. And yet holiness means, I mean, certainly God is perfect. He's sinless. But is he sinless because he's holy? Is he holy because he's sinless? I don't, I don't, sinless, I don't think those two things are connected. God's holiness is apart from the fact that he's sinless. Yeah. Or at least when I think of holiness now, right. a lot of my understanding of it comes from Exodus 3. And that's, that's if you know where that is in the Bible, you know, Moses has just walked away from his, you know, the throne of Egypt as a prince of Egypt. He's run off into the wilderness and he's been a shepherd for his father-in-law for 40 years. He's out with all the sheep and all of a sudden he sees the burning bush from a distance and he's kind of perplexed because it's not burning up and he comes forward and he has this conversation with God and God tells him, you know, take off the sandals from your feet because the ground where you're at's holy. But then when Moses asks God for his name, God responds and says, I am that I am, or I am who I am. And that is kind of gets to the essence of holiness to me. Because and and all throughout the Bible, when you look at someone's name, their name is almost prophetic as to who they are. It tells you a lot about them. Um, so, for example, Jacob's name means deceiver. Abraham is the father of nations. Adam's name literally means man. But when you get to God and he gets, gets a chance to tell you what his name is, mm-hmm. he says, I am who I am. In other words, he, he could have chosen any word to define him, to, to define himself. He could have said, I'm love, I'm, I'm justice, I'm peace. But he says, I am who I am. And that's kind of the essence of holiness is that it is defined by who he is. And so when God gets a chance to say, this is who I am, he's basically saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a category by myself. I can't use your words that you have all these associations with to define who I am. I just, I am who I am. There's nothing by which you can compare me to. Um, I'm transcendent from everything that you know. I can't be defined in any way apart from myself. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean that... He can only be measured against himself because he's so far beyond our categories to define him. And I think that's one of the... Entirely, I mean, that's one of the mysteries of God. It's like talking about the Trinity. How do we understand that there are three who are one? You know, I mean, and and there are three, but they're one. Not one in spirit, mm-hmm. not one in purpose, but you have three individuals who are also one. Yeah. That's a concept that our minds can't grasp. The same thing when we're talking about holiness, we've got the situation here where it can only be defined in terms of God. The definition of holiness is God. We give it all kind of other meanings, but it just means God and of God. Mm-hmm. It's altogether different. It's it, set apart. It's It's something other than, like we... He's going to define himself. It's like, you know, it would be like defining a word by using the very same word to define the word. Right. It's circular. With right. God, defining himself is circular. I am who I am. It's kind of, There's nothing you can, you can't put me in your box. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, when we talk about um, the glory of God and we say that, that God alone amongst all beings you know, it's not a bad thing that he seeks his own glory. He's justified in seeking his own glory. For us, that is, that's a bad thing. That's, a, that's an ego thing. That's a problem if we're seeking our own glory. But for God to seek his, his own glory is acceptable because he's God. He's different from us in all of these ways. And I do think that there's a sense in which um, we've kind of lost that, yeah. that 
that respect, that fear, that awe of God, where when we talk about he's holy, you know, that would bring a Puritan to his knees. (laughs) That would be the end. You're not going to be standing when you think about the holiness of God. You're going to be on your knees. Yeah. If you look back, I mean, the scriptures are filled with lines like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. When we sing Amazing Grace, right, we sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." You, you know, it's coming to God with this sense that he is altogether so far transcendent beyond my ability to wrap my mind around, and he is worthy of awe and respect and to fear how amazing he is, right? Right. And and we've lost that as a generation. The fear of God, we don't have much of it anymore. And so God comes, like in that story in Exodus 3, he comes with both. He comes with the very gentle and near. So when he talks to Moses, he says, you know, how are you to introduce me to the people back in Egypt? He says, I am who I am. I'm so transcendent. You can't put me in a category. You can't define me by your measurements. I can only be measured by myself. And so you think, well, gee, how do, I, how do I wrap my mind around that? I can't draw near to him. That's so transcendent. I can never. But then he says, but I want you to also tell them I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the one who drew near and walked with them. And so you have to get an accurate picture of who God is. You have to marry those two things. At one point, right. he is so holy and so far beyond our ability to wrap our minds around that he deserves total awe. And at the same time, he is the one who walked with my fathers. Right. And he walks with me near. So at the same time, he's transcendent and eminent. Yeah. You know, and we've had, I've had conversations with people about what does it mean to fear God, the fear of God? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I'm afraid of God? And the answer to that is no. It doesn't mean that you're afraid of God. But to say that it's just respect for God yeah. is not enough. It's, you know, it literally is this, this basic comprehension of who God is to the point that, I'm scared to get too close to it just because I know it's going to like it's then all of the atoms in my body are going to fly apart at the speed of sound, you know, that kind of thing. It's just being that close to somebody, something that is that awesome. You know, a really bad analogy. Yes. Is is my my wife. We have an Instapot at home right now. Now, this is a bad analogy. This is a very bad bad analogy. analogy. Okay. I'm terrified of this thing because I know how much pressure it's holding. And I'm waiting for this thing always to explode. No, no offense to end. It has not exploded, nope. and I have no reason to think it will explode, but I'm terrified of this <laughs> thing because I know the power that's behind this thing that is really beneficial. Like right. the meals that it makes are wonderful, but every time I walk by it, I'm kind of like wincing, ready for this thing to blow up. I know how much power it holds. I probably should send you. And we don't give God. There's no wincing. There's no, yeah. oh, my goodness, he is so powerful. Um, you know, the 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 omnipotence behind him. We don't respect it. Right. Being close to that much power. I mean, there's I, the thing that in my mind, and maybe this is a better analogy. That was a bad yeah, that one. Was maybe, a bad maybe this is a better analogy. There was an opportunity I had once to tour a power plant. And, you know, they walked us through areas of the power plant where it was not safe to touch things. Like literally there's so much power were, and this was, okay, I need to set the con. This was a number of years ago. Like today they would not let anybody in some of these areas, but I was taken in there. And we're like, Oh, we're going to tour the power plant. And when they took us through some of these areas, you, the amount of power that were in these coils and, and metal structures, it was so intense that you could feel it when you got 
just a little in the way the hair would stand up on your arms and you had this feeling like ants crawling like it was so much mm. power and i was in awe you could hear it buzzing the, the, metal, the metal structures were buzzing i was in awe of that and i was fearful of it at the same time and you know i'm not necessarily afraid of electricity i understand how it works but i have so much respect for it that i have a fear of it mm-hmm. you know you have that level of respect and that's so when we talk about god's holiness inspiring the fear of god in us what we're saying is that there's so much power in that in god's holiness that for us to be near it without his protection for us because he does bring us near but we'll talk about this i guess he's he protects us yeah and but without that we literally it'd be like touching the high voltage line wouldn't go well for us yeah you know, when, when you're thinking about that, back to the Exodus 3, when, when he's saying, hey, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. This is ground. holy ground, yeah. Yeah, and he says, from the burning bush, I am who I am, and he's transcendent, and he's powerful. One of the pictures that I love, the sign that blows Moses away is that this bush is on fire, and yet it's not being consumed. Right. And so there's a message in that, that when God is dwelling in the midst of something, it will not be consumed by the flames. Mm-hmm. And and that's a comfort for us, you know. If if the Lord dwells in us, you know, if we're His children, and the Spirit abides in us, then His presence does not. You know, the Bible says He's a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. If His Spirit dwells in us, as He it won't consume us. It will right. purify us and make us make us even better. So when we're talking, you know, when I throw the instapot, you know, it's it's not you don't wince at God if you're one of His children, but you do fear how powerful he is you respect him right um because he's worthy of that um and that same idea you don't fear as a christian you know the judgment has been put away from you you know he dwells in you you'll never be consumed you'll be purified it's it's kind of a cool cool picture there one of the things that i've always found interesting about exodus 3 the story in exodus 3 is that um you know, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, meaning Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. In my mind, I've always imagined Moses having to, basically, he's, he says that to get the courage to stop and go look at this. It yeah. doesn't, if it was a normal <laughs> thing, like this was an unusual bush, it said Moses turned aside to look at the bush. No, Moses had to talk himself into it. He had to say, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bushes. So there was the beginning of that kind of awe to the level of fear already. Moses was ready to be afraid when he walked up to the bush because the thing was happening that he had no way of understanding, no frame of reference for apart from it's happening right now in front of me and I see it, but I don't understand it at all because it's just nothing that makes sense to me. Drew, when you think of the fear of God, you know, it, we we just got done saying it's not being necessarily afraid of God. How do you understand the fear of God? How has it played out in your life? I think that I'm actually recently learning a lot more about that because I've been convicted recently that I don't I don't think I I understand what it means to fear the Lord in the way that is proper. That's or, a healthy fear. Yeah, because I even even this past week I was thinking about the idea of fear, like an unhealthy fear mm-hmm. and the idea of fearing the Lord. And um, I was reading in the scriptures where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I felt like that verse came alive to me in a way this week uh, that I hadn't quite, I mean, I've heard people say that my whole life, but I felt like I hadn't quite understood it um, until this week of just 
that when there's an understanding of what it means to fear the Lord because he's holy, that that is where wisdom begins. And I think in my own life, but maybe I don't want to speak for general culture, but maybe what what I see at least a lot in the culture is a lot of times I can find myself talking more about um, how God is so near Mm -hmm. and he's so close, which is true, but I can maybe underplay the holiness and the the fear of God that comes right. with that. And so when you guys are talking about this idea of the holiness of God, I'm excited to, I, I just feel like it's something I'm wrestling with myself is I don't think that I have a proper fear of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I need, I long to understand his holiness more uh, because I think that if I did, even the way I approached scripture or the way I talked about him the way that I prayed. It w- that would reflect in those sure. things. Well, I mean, and we, we understand fear in terms of, of, of a bad thing. Like, I'm afraid of a bad thing. I'm afraid of, of grizzly bears, okay? I have a fear of grizzly bears. Why? Because grizzly bears are big and they can eat me. Mm-hmm. So the fear <laughs> I have of grizzly bears is a different kind of fear. That's a yeah. fear of something bad happening. And grizzly bears, folks, are not bad. I'm not, the bear is not bad. Eating me is a natural thing. If I get too close to the bear, it's my fault. I got it. I got it. I don't, so I'm not saying grizzly bears are, are bad. But I'm just saying that this idea is I'm afraid of something because I don't trust it. Yeah. Okay. I don't trust the grizzly bear not to eat me. So I'm not going to get close to the grizzly bear. But we trust God and mm-hmm. yet we fear him. So there, that's the, uh, this idea. The fear just comes from realizing just exactly how different he is than us. And I think that should be permeating everything we do. If we're reading scripture, if we're praying, if we're mm-hmm. sharing our faith with somebody, if we're just going through our day, when we think about God and we do these things before God, whatever that might be, whatever part of our day, we should have a, a, an attitude of, of, you know, this is serious because he's holy and I need to be respectful of that. I need to be just a little bit afraid yeah. of what's going on there. Well, and I know that like for my, in my life here at work and church, I hear people tell me all the time, um, they talk about the fear of the Lord and how we're called to fear the Lord, not because we're scared, like you're right. saying. It's not a bad thing. But it's like an awe. It's a, right. um, like you said, deeper than respect, but it's an understanding of who he is that then places me in a position of I'm in awe of you. Like I'm, there's a fear there. But it, I think that what I'm realizing in this last week for myself, even thinking on this topic, is that I have known that and I've told myself that that's the definition and I can recite that to people. But when I really sit back and I look at the way that I pray and the way that I I talk, I, I don't think that like, there's a disconnect somewhere right. that I'm not understanding that fully. Right. And so even this week I was listening to a sermon and the pastor began by saying, but before he prayed, he just told the congregation like, hey, we're gonna pray. And what I don't want you guys to do is just to close your eyes and say, okay, we're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. But I want you to stop and think about the fact that we're going before God right, right. now. We're coming, bef- coming before his throne. And even just in simple things like that, I, I think that shows a fear of God and the recognition of his holiness that even when we pray before church begins, that it's not just a part of the service, but this is, we are coming before the Lord and there should be yeah. a, a and we're soliciting, that. we're soliciting from him. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's, it, that, it's not just how we start or anything. It's like, oh, how do we know it's a church service rather than a comedy routine? Well, did you pray? Yeah. And it's church service. If you didn't pray, well, maybe you're just telling jokes. But yeah. the verse where it says, you know, the, and this is the deal: the Lord, as holy as He is, as set apart as He is, as amazing as He is, you know, in His Word, He says things like, "Come boldly 
before the throne of grace, right? He he invites us, his children, to come into his presence. He delights in it. It's, it's right. a safe place to be. And he invites us there, and yet it tells us in order to do so, you have to be bold. Yeah. Right. Why do you have to be bold? Because you realize just how amazing the audience is that you're about to walk into. Mm-hmm. You respect it. You you have been given access to the God of the universe who speaks galaxies into existence by the power of his word. Right. Who, who holds all the universe in the span of his hand. Who is so magnificent that he's beyond my brain's ability to even begin to understand him. Yeah. And he says, come here. Yeah. I want to be with you. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a healthy respect that I get to go and be with him and that he sings over me. And to move confidently in yeah. his presence. You know, Not confidently because I'm worthy. No. Confidently because his son Right. Has made me worthy, and I think that's. I mean, that's described to us as one of the uh, one of the benefits, or one of the one of the things that we get as his followers is he's given us that gift to be able to come boldly before his throne of grace, to call him Abba, Father, to call yeah. him that by that personal name. To somebody who was from that ancient Israel culture, you know, they were so struck by the name of God that they, you know, they had to, they would go through all these incredible rituals not to say it. Yeah. Or if they were writing it, they would purify themselves before they wrote it, and they purified themselves after they wrote it. They they really had that sense of it. So in the New Testament, when they talk about the Spirit, about by that we are able to say Abba, Father. To somebody from that culture, that must have been wild. Wild! What a shock that was. Like, you mean I can actually refer to God intimately mm-hmm. like that without fear? Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, you think about the Day of Atonement when the – and sorry for <laughs> getting into the history kind of stuff. But for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, it could only happen once a year after tremendous preparation right. and cleansing and everything else. And when you went, it was only that one time a year, and it could only be one guy from one tribe and one line of that tribe who could, one person, once a year. And they went trembling. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And if they did it wrong, <laughs> the consequence was death. Didn't I read somewhere that they actually like had something they tied to them? so they could, There's tradition there. We, that's not out. in the scriptures, no, but no, they put red, bells on them and ropes to drag them to out. To drag if them out dead. in case something happened. Yeah, yes. I mean, so, so you think about that. That was the mindset. That's what it was to go in front of God. It was life and death intensity. And God looks at me and says, no more of that. Come boldly. Right. Every morning, I want you to come to me. Right. Now, if I, if I took... That privilege of praying with the level of sacredness that they did, that every morning when I wake up and I pray to the Lord, that that is the privilege I have to walk into his presence. That kind of ferocious, amazing holiness now is my comfort that I'm Mm. invited into. He's my defender we should take it that way. We should look oh, at prayer that way. But think how think how wild and it's, vibrant your yeah, prayer yeah. life would be if you realized who it is that you're going in front of. Right. That's where I say, and I think in my own heart, I'm realizing that there can be a disconnect that I'm, I'm thankful God's working on me with of just, I want to understand his character and his nature more. Because I think of that verse in Hebrews where it says, let us come with confidence before the throne of grace. And I just... I think that the more I learn about God and even just hearing you guys describe God and his character and his holiness and who he is, it makes me want to pause and know him more so that when I come before him to pray and to read his word, 
that there is this reverence. Sure. That yeah. I don't take it lightly. Well, you know, and, like we talked about in Exodus, in the Exodus 3, where one is transcendent. I am who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet I'm also the one who walked with your fathers. Yeah. Like our generation has lost that. We don't feel the need for a boldness to come in front of God. You know, Jesus yeah. is our homeboy now. Like he's, you know, that we don't hold this reverence that he's holy and he's transcendent and he's, we're totally unworthy of our, in ourselves to go before him and we should have amazing gratitude and realize the privilege that we have to go in front of him because he is transcendent. Mm. We've lost that and in losing it, we lose something really precious that's that's so wonderful. You know, we want to say, oh, God's not that holy. He's not that transcendent because, because we, in our stupidity, we think, oh, you know, we're, we're making him more accessible. <laughs> no, we're making him cheaper. Right. We, we need people to realize how sacred and amazing he is because it makes the relationship with him so much more precious, mm-hmm. so much more precious. Let me comment on that thing for a second. You say this perspective that we're making God more accessible. And I've heard people say that, you know, which is why we, this is why we do certain things in our church service or more likely don't do certain things because we're making God more accessible to people. And, you know, when I hear that, I'm thinking, God's perfectly accessible, Mm -hmm. but there's just one way that you come. And what you do by making God more accessible is you're trying to make it sound like, well, there's just, you can just come tripping on in any old way and come. No, God is, is absolutely accessible through his son, through the, the blood of Jesus on the cross. And then God's perfectly accessible. We don't need to make God everybody's big, warm, fuzzy friend. He does that himself. He makes us his children. He brings us in that way. So, you know, there's not a need to make God more accessible. Really, there's not. You don't have to strip down the service to make it seem like God is this sort of kind of confused, doddering, elderly friend in the sky. He can be God. He can be who he is. Let me ask a question, Sam. You know, we talked about how they regarded God you know, God and God's name in the Old Testament. And we're talking now in the in the New Testament, the New Covenant, okay? Mm-hmm. Something changed. We you know, because now we can go boldly. Now we can call him Abba Father. And back then there was this sense of wow, you know, God, the name of God. What was different between the two covenants? Old Covenant, New Covenant, what changed there? To well, give you, us that. And what so, was it? so you have, I mean, it's the same God. What was the impediment? Why couldn't they be sin. that bold? Sin. I mean, sin is, so when, and, and God is teaching in the Old Testament, what he's doing, I think, is he's trying to help humanity understand the need for humility. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, when God gives the law on Mount Sinai, the same mountain we're talking about with the burning bush, you know, we're told that, you know, it's covered with fire and smoke and trumpets and it's quaking and everybody's going, oh my goodness, get him away from me. But the same God that came to Moses in the thunder and the lightning and the quaking and everything else in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, that's the same God that sits and gives the Sermon on the Mount and says, come, right. come to me. And all the requirements of the law that should humble us, right, that should make us go, oh, my goodness, get him away from me. If there is no Jesus, if there is no Savior, that's the appropriate response because we fall short of this God who we owe our entire lives and all of our obedience because he is our maker and he has given us these requirements and we owe him everything that we have. Everything we have comes from his hand and we rebel against him and we make this life about us and we're a mess. And we should be fearful, right? Right. Unless there's a savior. That's a big unless. 
That's a big unless, you know? Yeah. But now, here comes Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he doesn't take away. When he's in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't take away the standards of the law. He says, be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that should make us go, woof. But guess what the answer is? Christ has walked ahead of us. He has lived the perfect life, God in the flesh, completed the requirements of the law. And you know what? He stood before on a different mountain and bore the wrath. He took the earthquake. He took the lightning and the fire and everything and all the holiness of God as he paid for my sin on the cross. And he gave me his perfection. And now as I stand complete and his obedience, I get to go before the father who now looks at me and says, ah, my son. Mm. You get to say, my daughter, you know, he welcomes us in because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is a gift to us. And now here's the deal. He's the only one that's holy, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, holiness is measured by him. Right. And guess what? Now I am clothed in the image of his son. I am being conformed into that holiness, that standard. I'm becoming more and more like him, and I'm declared totally righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did. And that's why I get to go and walk in front of him with no fear. Right. And, and Jesus didn't like come and say, okay, well that whole law thing was a mistake. We, we psych. You know, <laughs> he, he didn't do that. He said, I didn't come to abolish a law. He came to fulfill the law. He Correct. fulfilled the law in every respect. And by doing that, he satisfied the requirements of the law. So it's not as if when we look back at the old Testament that we're like, Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Yeah. No, that's that, when God was mad. Yeah. That matters. No. The law of God is still, is still as something that we need to study and understand and take inside of ourselves and know. We need to know his yeah. law. But at the same time, we don't need to be afraid of the consequences of the law because we know that Jesus has taken that. Correct. He's taken those consequences. You know, we had the verse this week in our personal worship here at Rio. That's something that if you're not part of our church and you listen to this podcast, each week we get um, study notes sent out uh, through the pastors and the staff here that go to the congregation. And it, it's a sort of you're reading the, the sermon text in advance that week, and there's devotional thoughts and, and questions and prayer guides and so forth. And the idea essentially is to get you thinking about what the sermon's going to be so that when you come to, serve, to the service, you're ready to hear the Word of God. And the verse this week was, saying that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, everybody, you, basically, if you love God, you're going to do his will. And we were talking about that uh, in our staff time together. And we said, that makes it seem like if we love God, we have to do his will. My goodness, how are we going to know his will? And we, we flipped over to just one verse, which actually wasn't in the study notes, and I probably should have put it there because I put the study notes together, so slap me in the face. But John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father? That you have a relationship with the Son, that you that you perceive the Son for who he is, and you have a relationship. God's will is that we have a relationship with him, and that satisfies that you know this requirement that we're terrified of. Yeah. Two weeks ago when we had our spiritual formation night, we were talking about creation, and one of the things when you read Genesis chapter 1 that you see repeated again and again, it's ten times again and again that he's creating all of these things according to their kinds. Mm-hmm. He creates the seas according to their kinds, the plants according to their kinds, the birds according to their kinds. You get the idea, and it just keeps repeating that. He's creating everything with their mates, right? They're going to mm-hmm. stay within their, with their kind. And then he says, let us make man in our image. And it seems like he's changed the subject, but he hasn't. He has made man 
to be his partner. You follow that? Yeah. And the whole scripture goes, and it's going to conclude with man, his church becoming his bride. He has made us set apart to become like him and with him in a relationship forever. And the opening chapter that's talking about creation, when it says, let us make man in our image, gives us unbelievable dignity, right? And that tells us that the entire point of this creation is not just, I want them in my image to do what I say to do. It's, no, I want them to be my partner. I want to be with them in relationship forever. They're set apart for me. Yeah. That shows you the heart of God. It's not about, you know, strikes and balls and checklists and everything else where God's this transcendent judge waiting to give a verdict. No, he wants his people to be with him in relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what we're made for. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah. We were made to be in relationship with our creator. And so if we're not, that's That's against the will of the father. And that's against the nature of creation. You know, people talk about, oh, that's against nature. That's against creation. That's unnatural. What's unnatural is to not be in a relationship with our creator. That's unnatural. That reminds me of our conversation when you get to another part where it talks about holiness and and Isaiah chapter Mm -hmm. six. Yes. And you were talking, do you want to, do you want to go there? Sure. Let's talk about it. Isaiah 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, and that's that's an important detail, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of of the threshold shook as the voice of him called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am, and I'm going to use the King James translation, (laughs) for I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And so let's let's just unpack this passage. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. So in the beginning it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Now this is one of the kings, if you know his history, he became really proud, and he said, I'm going to disobey the law of God. I'm worthy to walk into the temple. I'm good enough. Right. And he goes into the temple. He's struck with leprosy, and he dies. And so it's saying this is a king, the, the leader of the nation, who thought that he was worthy of God, and he walks into the temple, and God hits him with leprosy. And now it's saying, okay, and the year that he died. So he's our negative example. Don't do right. that. Right. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And that is such a beautiful statement. Yeah. Um, if, if In the ancient culture, when, when a king would have the train of his robe, um, the longer the train was, the more glory that king had. And the reason for that was when you would conquer a different kingdom, you would cut off a piece of that king's robe and you would stitch it onto your own. So the idea of having a multicolored coat meant you were powerful, you were anointed, you were set apart. You remember the story, it's kind of an awkward one, where (laughs) King Saul is chasing after David and he goes into a cave to to search for David and kill him. And anyway, he, he... he I has, thought he was going in there to go number two. He has to go okay, just saying, use the bathroom, yeah, okay. but it's in the midst of searching for David. Okay. And David, while he's you know 
doing number two, goes and takes and cuts off a piece of his cloak, right. uh, his robe. And then he feels guilty about it. But the reason why he's doing that is to say, I am taking the kingdom from you, and I'm grafting you into my kingdom. Right. And then he feels guilty about it afterwards. But the idea is the train of the Lord's robe fills the temple. Well, what does that mean? It means he's conquered all other kings. That means he's that, the top. that he's everybody alone. that fills the temple, then, if it's the train of his mm-hmm. robe that fills the temple, who's in the temple? All of those he's conquered. Mm-hmm. You follow? Sure. So all the kingdoms that he has conquered, the train of his robe fills the temple. You know what that means? That means that those that have surrendered to him are worthy to be in the temple. King Uzziah died saying, I'm, I deserve to be in the temple. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but those that he's conquered, those that have surrendered to him, they're worthy of the temple. They fill the temple. It's this beautiful picture that those that surrender to the Lord are now worthy to be in his presence. And then what I love about this is you have these, the angels that are in heaven, and it gives us a picture of heaven. And I've always read this, that they're singing to the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But read what it says. It says, and one called to another and is singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What makes that amazing is they're not singing to the Lord. It's like they're looking at him going, oh, my goodness, and they're so fired they're up. shouting to each other. Just shouting to each other. Can you believe it? Look how holy he is. Look how amazing he is. Look how transcendent he is. And they're encouraging one another right. and getting more and more worked up in worship by pointing out who he is. And there's some element to that. When you come to church and you say, oh, I'm, I'm singing to an audience of one. No, you're not. No, you're, you're really not. I mean, he's the primary audience, but you know that when you go into a church and you sing with all of your might, do you know that it lifts my soul to watch you absolutely lose yourself in worship? Mm-hmm. Your praise elevates my praise. Mm-hmm. We can go into church and just be like, oh my goodness, can you believe how great he is? I went to a concert this past weekend, and one of my favorite parts of concerts, it was a Hillsong concert, Elevation, Casting Crowns, and one of my very favorite parts is when the lead singers shut up and you just get to hear an audience of thousands of people with you know arms outstretched just singing with everything they have. I love that. And in heaven, this is the picture. The angels are calling to one another going, can you believe how awesome he is? He's right. altogether different. Yeah, He's it says that, amazing. It says the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. So that sort of thing is, you know, the power that was in those words. But, you know, we were, you and I were talking about in verse five, Isaiah's reaction where he says, and I said, woe is me for, and the ESV translates it, the English standard version translates it for I am lost. Yet another thing that bugs me about us losing the majesty of the King James English, you know, but you know, my favorite it's just, I am undone in the King James. And the word that's being used for undone really means unmade or uncreated. The idea is that something is literally disintegrated. It's destroyed utterly. There's nothing left of it. And what Isaiah is essentially saying is, what I'm looking at right now is so powerful, it's so awesome, that everything that makes me and holds me together is now just going to break yeah. apart. So that you get back to the, the creation, Right. What are you created to do? You're created to be one with him. Right. To be made in his image, to be conformed to who he is. And Isaiah comes and standing before God, all of his rebellion, all of his shortcomings, 
everything that doesn't measure up is exposed. And it's like Isaiah saying, you know, I was, I was created for this purpose, but standing in your presence, I realized that the entire purpose of my creation, I'm in rebellion against, and I am being uncreated just standing in your presence. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that is powerful. Um, but then, I, I love this, it says, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and then it says that this angel comes with tongs, having taken a burning coal from the altar, and it place, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. And he places this burning coal on his mouth yeah, like- and says, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sins atoned for, and you think, well, that's weird. Sounds like fire is the purifying yeah, like, thing here, but it's, but it's not, I, is it? I would rather not have a burning coal on my Yeah, mind. that's, that's, not, but, a, that's but not a good idea, thing. the idea in the ancient world, when you offered the sacrifice, you would, you would put the sacrifice on the altar, and you would offer the sacrifice, and the blood would drip down onto the burning coals, and it would make a smoke that would go up to heaven. It was the offering that would go up. And so by saying that he's taking one of these hot coals... What is what is the coal covered with? It's covered with blood, right? It's covered with the blood of the sacrifice. Right. And he puts it against Isaiah's mouth, and it is the blood of the sacrifice that takes the guilt away. Hmm. That's that's prophetic, right? And, and not just takes the guilt away, but it's the blood of the sacrifice that prevents Isaiah from flying apart. I mean, we were talking yeah, about yeah. God's holiness, the amount of power. We can't be in that presence. Well, how can we be in the presence? Because Isaiah did. Isaiah was in the presence, and he lived. The answer is... The blood of the sacrifice, and this you know yeah. goes back to Christ on the cross. The yeah. blood of the sacrifice that that purifies us and lets us be in God's presence without being uncreated. I love that. <laughs> it's just a, it really it's such is a, cool. It's a good, it, the idea is that Isaiah perceived it correctly. He understood that I can't be in this presence like I am. Yeah, we have to be remade to be in His presence. Yeah, and the only way you can do that is. By the blood. By the blood. Hmm. It's the blood that's going to make you new. That makes so much more sense with you explaining that piece (laughs) (laughs) than just a coal to the lips. That's why he's the pastor of spiritual formation. That's helpful. I mean, that's powerful. spiritually formed here, right? I have been, yeah. Yeah. No, it's helpful, though, that idea of the the blood of the sacrifice. Well, you know. You, you don't like the spiritual formation I title? I form nothing. Okay. I, I feel like that's very bad theology, it, saying that I'm forming spiritual stuff. I, well, I have no power to form spiritual stuff. <laughs> but the Word of God does, and, and, and you're here teaching the Word, and that's, the, that's reflective of your job here. You, know, you, you spend a lot of time teaching the Word to people. You know, I'm thinking about this, the, the reverence that you feel uh, toward God, and mm-hmm. it, it's just as we were talking about it on the fly here, it it made me think of of Jesus, you know, who is God the Son in the flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is, he knows the Father. He knows where this is going. He knows that he can put his life in the Father's hands, even though he's about to suffer the cross. He's mm-hmm. about to suffer the wrath of the Father. And yet he's still, you know, even from the cross, he'll say, I commend, you know, my spirit into your hands, right? He's totally trusting the Father, even despite all this. But thinking through the reverence that the that Jesus, as a man, is expressing toward the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't want to drink this cup. I, I don't want to go through this, but not my will, yours be done. And trembling and you know, sweating blood, being so overwhelmed um, with the knowledge 
of who God is and the weight of our sin that he's about to have to pay for. If anybody in the history of humankind understood the gravity of our sin, it was it's him. him. Right. And he's trembling. The perfect one is trembling before God the Father, not because of anything he's done, but because he knows the weight and the gravity of what I've done and what it's going to cost to make me whole again. And, then and the- he trembles before the Lord to, for- to, to secure my forgiveness. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, there should be, even though I c- come only with gratitude, there should be some sense of trembling that I come with just amazing gratitude for the fact that he counts me worthy enough that he trembled in agony mm-hmm. so that I can tremble with gratitude. And wind up at the same place because the last, the, the sentence that Jesus arrived at, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Because that's, that's where, after that moment of the most intense trembling, that's where he wound up. Hmm. To the Father's will be done. That's awesome. It is. I was just thinking about what does it look like to apply this to us today? Because my human nature is, especially, I don't, and I don't think this is just my modern culture I'm living in, but it's, I like things that I can see, I like things I can feel, I like things I can touch, and all these stories we looked at the Old Testament, you know, God is popping into the scene physically in most of these cases. You know, Isaiah was taken up in a vision, so we saw, sure. it, you know, Moses at the burning bush at the foot of Mount Sinai. So I think right now, in my case, I'm like, man, I would be trembling too if I was at Mount Sinai, <laughs> you know? But like right yeah. now, I'm like, how do I enter into the presence? You know, just think about in our modern world, entering into the presence of God, because I struggle with that. I think part of it is I'm so bent on things I can see, things I can feel, you know, things I can hear audibly. I'm like, you know, how do, how do we enter into that today, entering into the presence of God, and more than just that Christianese, you know, like, I'm entering in the presence of God, but really, I don't know, I'm just thinking about my own heart, like, I don't look at scripture like that, I don't look at prayer like that, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, if God came booming down to me and talked about scripture, I would listen a lot more than when I read it in my bedroom, sure. and like, oh, I can push that off, so I'm just trying to find my own, for my own heart, just the modern world, what does it look like to, to chase after this tremble and, and this holiness of God? Some of this just goes to the topic in general. We're talking about the holiness of God. We don't meditate on the holiness of God. We don't reflect on his holiness when we come before him or when we open his word, that these are the, these are the words, the thoughts of the holy God that is, you know, that's so powerful that we can't exist in his presence unless covered by the blood. And we need to come to it just meditating on that and having that in our mind as we approach it. And it does, I think, it, I mean, it does. You, you, it creates a mindset where you do have some of that tremble, that healthy fear and awe. For me, you know, there's, there's particular, there's verses in the Bible where it's like, man, do I really exercise that? Like in, in Ephesians 2 where it talks about that we have been raised with Jesus, not just raised, but seated with him in the heavenly places, that right now, when I worship, there is a sense in which I'm already in the presence of God in heaven. Like, do I worship like that? Yeah. Like, do I feel like my citizenship is really in heaven already, that, that you know, that's, that's who I am. I'm a child of the king right now, mm-hmm. and really stop and meditate about who he is. Do I mean... Looking and imagining the cross, it's, you know, I, I tend 
to look at the cross and go and to think, you know, what, how, how incredible of an expression of love for me, but rarely do I look at the cross and think, you know, that's, that is also an expression of the gravity and the, the intensity of God's hatred for the sin that's destroying me, um, that he would die to free me from it and to right. pay the penalty for it. And just every once in a while, like I, I, this is probably not a good exercise to do, but every once in a while when I'm in those dry seasons and I'm thinking, man, like I just, I don't feel this. Mm-hmm. I do, I, I will imagine myself and let the imagination of faith take me to places where I'm in front of the cross looking at him mm-hmm. um, or imagining myself like trying my best to imagine what it would be like to stand in front of him in heaven. Um, putting myself in those situations where I allow my, because God doesn't appear to me. He doesn't come to me in blinding light and holiness and thunder and earthquakes. And so the scriptures give us these descriptions where you have to use your imagination to put yourself there. You know, I, I, every so often I think it's good for people to go back and, and just reread the story of the crucifixion itself because the things that Jesus did while he was on the cross, um, he was concerned about the people before him still. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees John standing down there, you know, and he says, behold your mother and to Mary, behold your son. He's concerned about, he's still caring for these people yeah. in the midst of what he was going through himself. I can't, yeah. I just can't even imagine that. I think that it, it would have to have been one of the most, it, it would it really to, to be there. If they, if they were there and you saw something like that, if something like that does not change you for the rest of your life forever, I don't know what else could. And, and so what you're saying is that if that's not changing us, then we need to focus on the cross again. We need to understand it, to imagine that, to, to put ourselves there, to see that. Um, and it's hard to do. I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult thing because we are brought up in this YouTube generation where everything can be shown to us in a five minute video. And don't get me wrong. I could do no jobs around the house if it wasn't for YouTube. <laughs> I am a YouTube junkie. I watch more YouTube than anything else. I love going down the rabbit hole of all these little weird videos. And YouTube's great. I watch a video and it shows me 20 other videos on the same subject. That's wonderful. I know more about truck top campers than I'd ever want to know because I thought, wow, they can get a lot of stuff in one of those little things. And YouTube's like, would you like to see 70 other people that have done that? Okay, that's, that's good. But at the same time, that's created a very short attention span and an inability to meditate on things in our own minds. If it can't be shown to us visually, tactile, if we can't see it on a screen, it's like we can't conceive it. Mm-hmm. And yet there was a time when just reading the words of God would create such a picture in the minds of the readers that literally they would drop to their knees again. I mean, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be too linked up on the Puritans, but I've been doing some reading mm-hmm. about the Puritans. And, you know, we have this idea of puritanical, that like they, were, like they were so crazed about holiness that they were just dangerous people to be around. They were absolutely in awe of God. And they saw being able to serve their creator as the highest priority and the greatest gift they could be given was to be able to serve their creator. And you, you, if you really study the Puritans, a very different picture comes out as to kind of how they're thought of in in modern thought. If I say, oh, yeah, he's a real Puritan, you're like, oh, yeah, he's probably one of those uptight guys. They weren't uptight, and they were completely in awe of God. It's, yeah. it's cool stuff to read. Yeah, I love 
how much they treasure God. And I think, you know, getting back to your, your point, um, you know, how do we get there? How do we get ourselves? Because I'm somebody that I'm melancholic. I go through highs where I feel, you know, super spiritual and I feel really in tune with the Lord. That's a good coffee day. Yeah. Lots of coffee. <laughs> okay. And then there's, there's seasons where it's like, man, why does this not feel more real to me? Why is this not animating who I am? Why do I not feel close to him? And what always helps me is not to imagine what I can do. It's not, you know, putting a checklist together. There's sometimes that's helpful. For me, almost always, to pull myself out of that, I need to reflect on the Lord and what He feels. Um, you know, for example, like when you think of pain and sadness in the world, it, it has always blown me away that the first time that the scriptures ever mention pain come from God Himself. It's in Genesis 6 when mankind has totally walked away from Him. The scriptures say, and His heart was filled with pain. You know, and so when I go wayward, to imagine God in heaven, you know, and it's not like he's deficient without me, but his love for me is so overwhelming that the scriptures open up and say that, you know, like when I'm, when I walk away from him, there's some sense in which the heart of God can be filled with pain. His Mm -hmm. love for us is so intense. Like if I imagine my wife, if I treated her or neglected her and someone came to me and said, you know what, Laura's heart is filled with pain because you've walked away from her, it would crush me. Yeah, It would crush me. How much more the infinite God who loves me without measure, who has shown that he would withhold nothing for me, you know, to know that that's his heart. He's Again, he's not this tran- purely this transcendent God who just sits objective and without any investment into our relationship. Mm-hmm. He cares about this. Mm-hmm. He's invested in this. And I need to remember that the, you know, the way the Bible talks about his love for me, it's intense. I have the power in my worship, in my affection, in my prayer life to tug on the heartstrings of God in some sense. Mm-hmm. That's a tremendous privilege. And I need to remember that. So when I'm in a dry spell, I don't care about my emotions, right? Uh, you know, so much. I need to remember His mm-hmm. because He loves me and cares for me with an intensity that usually will kick me off center and get me back where I need to be. What do we look forward to? Where do, where does where do we go from here when we talk about God's holiness? You know when. When you think in terms of holiness, there's probably nobody who's going to listen to this that doesn't ultimately feel like they're falling short. And they should. You know, like yeah. in this life, we mess it up all the time. But looking forward, oh, man, our hope is so amazing. You know, when, when Peter and John and the apostles who come together and put together the New Testament, when they talk about what's in store for us, mm-hmm. you know, Peter says that we are going to become partakers of the divine nature. That's our future. Uh, John and in First John chapter 3, he says this. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, so on that day when everything comes to an end and he's ready to make all things new, it says, When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there's this this picture that's just really awesome that on that day, you know, in this life we fall short, we don't measure up, we're not fully conformed to who he is, but when he comes back and we enter into glory, 
you are going to become a partaker of his divine nature, we're told. You're going to share in his glory. You are going to be made perfectly like him because you're going to see him in all of his beauty. And that beauty will become so magnetic that you will not be able to do anything but become like him. You'll be so in awe of who he is to see him as he is for all he is. And that's our future. You are going to be made into a bride that is worthy to call Jesus your groom forever. You're going to be beautiful. That about wraps it up for another Out of Water podcast, folks. If you've got questions, there's things that you want to ask us, or maybe something you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast, we do have an email address set up for you. You can send us email at outofwater, which I guess you could spell that, out of water, just all together like that, all three words, at riovistachurch.com. So send us your questions, or we'd love to receive your comments about the show, um, We want to know what it is you'd like to hear us talk about so that we can do those subjects that interest you most. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.